This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Forsyth. Uh, so today is day three of the budget landing and uh, more analysis of the budget and the economic forecasts are happening, leading to some banks, including HSBC and NatWest, to increase their mortgage rates in reaction. Isabel, can you tell us what's going on here? Yeah, so this is a part of the, the sort of toxic mix following the budget of a, a high tax burden, rising inflation. And now, as you say, mortgage lenders dropping their cheapest deals uh, because they are anticipating that there's going to be an interest rate rise coming down the line. So you've got, I think, Virgin Money, Barclays, Halifax, HSBC and NatWest who are changing their mortgage deals for a lot of people, which obviously means a sharper cost of living crisis. And it's going to be very difficult for a lot of people. It's also very interesting politically because it's been Labour's main attack line since about 2012. And it hasn't really had much effect. We've had lots of different cost of living crises, whether it was energy bills, where we've had those again recently. And now we're facing the the Rishi Sunak cost of living crisis. And there's not been any evidence, and I've been talking to Labour people about this, that actually them talking about cost of living makes that much difference to the electorate. And particularly the political attack line that Labour tends to choose to use, which is this out-of-touch Tory government. And one of the reasons they do that with Rishi Sunak is obviously he's loaded, he has a coffee cup that's worth more than a pair of shoes for most people, blah, blah, blah. But Labour thinks that people care about this. People don't seem to care about it. And so my question is how will this actually pan out politically? Presumably the Conservatives have the same analysis, which is that Labour can attack them on cost of living, but it's it's not actually going to move the dial in terms of the polls. Mm. James, is is this the moment that things change, given we've had historically low interest rates and inflation under control? Now inflation could well come back and that cost of living crisis may actually uh, manifest itself. So I think the the big question is, is how high inflation goes and for how long? and what that means for interest rates, which obviously particularly hits, you know, one of the biggest determinants of how you vote in this country is whether you own your home or not. So anything that hits mortgage holders is is a particular problem for the Tories. I think one thing I would say is the Tory answer, George Osborne always used to argue when Ed Miliband was going on cost of living. Look, don't worry about the cost of living attacks because we can turn cost of living into who is going to let you keep more of your money, who is going to cut your taxes, who is going to cost you more. And that was always his argument, that how you responded to Edmund Band going on cost of living. And I think that raises an interesting question for the Tories, because there is this question, which is, you know, they have raised national insurance, and can they cut taxes before the next section? You know, I thought in the in the budget, Rishi Sunak was very keen to say, look, you know, if we are basically stick to these spending plans, we as in the Conservatives should hopefully be able to cut taxes before the next election. That gives them a kind of Tory response on cost of living which is, you know, Keir Starmer will cost you more, we'll let you keep more of your money, and that's the best way to solve the cost of living crisis. The problem for them is, can they do that? They have not been particularly keen on taking tough decisions in, you know, in recent years. You know, and even sticking to these spending plans, however generous they sound, 
is going to require some tough decisions. For example, you know, look at public sector pay. Mm. If you're talking about big above inflation public sector pay increases, you, you can probably kiss tax cuts goodbye. So, I mean, that the, the big question is, are they basically prepared to say, you know, this far and no further on spending? And then they can get back into that kind of classic Tory thing of you cut taxes before the election, you run in the election, and you basically say, ah, Keir Starmer, raise your taxes. And that that's how you did to deal with the cost of living argument. If they haven't managed to cut taxes at all, I think they're in a more difficult position come the election in terms of cost of living. Now, obviously, that requires Labour to get some more cut through than it's getting at the moment. But there is a time when people can just decide that they just cross with the government and they become less concerned about the qualities of the opposition. Mm. And Isabel, one other announcement from today was the fact that now the NHS will be offering e-cigarettes on the taxpayer for those trying to get off smoking. Um, Do you think this is a good idea? This is really interesting. It's been part of a very long debate about whether e-cigarettes are in some way a gateway to smoking, whether they should be discouraged in the same way that cigarettes have been in our public realm for, well, uh, 20, 25 years now. And there have been lots of arguments for and against. But this is about prescribing e-cigarettes to people who are trying to stop smoking. So it's at sort of the other end. The, the exit way is the theory here. And that the plan is for them to be prescribed. They're going to be medically licensed alongside other sort of nicotine reduction products, such as uh, those nicorette patches that people put on their arms and so on. Uh, and so th- this is uh, updated guidance from the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency which will pave the way, according to ministers, uh, for the use of these e-cigarettes. But it's obviously not without controversy because they contain nicotine. My view is that it's much better to switch somebody onto something that helps them break the habit of the the harmful tobacco smoke and all the associated products within cigarettes and helps them move out of of that even if actually they they stick on what is an addictive substance i mean we we don't ban all addictive substances in this country i suspect most of us are running on caffeine for instance uh, during this podcast or i could certainly do with a little bit more of my caffeine hit this morning so for me i think it it makes a lot of sense in terms of public health and does also mark a really interesting shift in attitudes towards e-cigarettes which up to this point have have largely been regarded i mean you can't take them on planes for instance or 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 trains because they are being treated in the same way as cigarettes this could mark a shift in that Mm. and james is it also interesting that it's a shift in the thinking of preventative medicine because you you know you might be saving these smokers from costing the nhs more down the line through lung cancer i must i have a slightly curmudgeonly reaction to this which is, if you can afford to buy a packet of cigarettes, you can afford e-cigarettes. They are they are cheaper, and and, and I begin to wonder about the kind of I, I I I'm kind of normally kind of fairly in favour of kind of holistic approaches to medicine, kind of treating the whole person. But I feel in this case, you know, e-cigarettes are widely and publicly available and cheaper than the alternative that people have. And so I do wonder whether it is the role of the NHS mm. to kind of move them, to try, and, to try and move people from cigarettes to e-cigarettes when anyone who can afford cigarettes, you know, I think cigarettes are, I think I think now after the budget, £13 or something for a packet of 20. You know, um, you know, anyone who can afford that 
can surely can afford e-cigarettes and therefore they should you know take some personal responsibility for their health but mm. that might be me being very curmudgeonly and grumpy because i haven't had enough coffee <laughs> isabel james you're never curmudgeonly I-, I guess my repost would be that sure but they could also afford nicorette patches and uh, those have been widely available as part of stop smoking schemes for a very long time and one of the things about I suppose, harmful addictions is that people will spend a lot of money on things that they can't afford. And so to look at it from a purely sort of affordability point of view, I I don't think fully grasps uh, not only the the addictive issue here, but also the public health costs down the line, as Cindy mentioned, not just of lung cancer, but emphysema and lots of other respiratory problems. And, you know, I think the government's got a an added interest now in tackling some of these issues, given that they also exacerbate COVID outcomes for people who, who catch that virus, who are who do have respiratory problems, some of which are caused by smoking. Mm. And James, last but not least, it seems like the French might be declaring war. What's going on in the channel? So uh, we've got into a situation where there's been this long running argument over which French boats are allowed to, to fish where. And the French massively escalated the rhetoric this week and kind of Clement Blown who is kind of who is a, has a very similar relationship to Emmanuel Macron that David Frost has to Boris Johnson you know they they are very much they're kind of um uh brothers in arms yeah and, and but but also kind of licensed to be more aggressive than the boss on European questions in, in both cases right and, and uh, Clement Bone has declared that the only language the British understand is force uh the only, sorry the only language that this British government understands is force <laughs> and so basically saying right unless you grant us these licenses we're going to start holding up all your law at Calais causing kind of choke points which is obviously a particular issue at the moment given all the supply chain troubles I think the, the danger is that I don't quite see where the off-ramp is in that I feel that, that as we saw when Boris Johnson scrambled the Royal Navy to respond to a, to a fishing dispute off Jersey you know, but, the, the, but for both Macron who is up for re-election next year and Boris Johnson these kind of spats you know that there is domestically they play well and neither want to lose face. You know, Boris Johnson doesn't want to look like he's backing down mm. because the French are kind of threatening to kind of hold up British lorries at Calais. But Emmanuel Macron doesn't want to look like French fishermen have lost out because of Brexit. And so I think this this tension is going to go on. And one of my views is that, you know, that remember France takes over the EU presidency in January at a moment when UK-EU relations might be even more fraught than they are today because the Northern Ireland Protocol issue will be right up there and there's a whole question of whether the UK and the EU would have reached a kind of negotiated settlement or whether the UK would have acted unilaterally. And, and so I think, I think, I think kind of Anglo-French relations are going to be rocky for quite some time. Isabel and James, thanks very much for joining Coffee House Shots and thank you for listening and do tune in to our Saturday Shots this week where we'll be talking a little bit more about the Anglo-French tensions. <laughs>